name is Chris Zaug, and welcome to Let's Talk Teams, a podcast by Uptick, the one-on-one meeting software that helps managers and their teams get on the same page, but, but more than that, actually having better conversations with one another, not just talking about projects, status updates, and all the stuff you can do via email. It digs into the nitty-gritty things, how work is going and how your team members work best, the conversations you never get to really have. In this episode, I get a chance to talk with Amy Baker, the principal and partner at Spry. Amy shares her leadership journey from newbie in the creative world to being a leader in a larger company typically dominated by men, and then onto her life as an entrepreneur. She has some unique and powerful insights into leading people that I think you'll enjoy. Um, Amy is, is currently the principal and partner at Spry, but uh, has also been a VP of, of innovation at, a, at another agency. You've done a lot of stuff. I, I personally want to hear a little bit of the story of the nickname that I know that you had it was coined by some of your employees. We need to hear the story of how that happened. <laughs> uh oh, which nickname? That's the question. <laughs> oh, you know which one I'm talking about, Shadow Paw. Oh, great. Well, where do you want to start? My employment history or Shadow Paw? Because they kind oh, of all come together. <laughs> well, do that. Give me the employment history, kind of how you got into business and all that stuff. And wherever Shadow Paw fits in, feel free to add that right in the flow. Perfect. Well, actually, it's kind of funny because it's it's funny to me now to be talking to someone about being a leader in business. Um, I went to school because I was going to be an art student. And I was <laughs> Naturally. Going to be, yeah, right. I was going to be a medical illustrator. My parents, um, in all of their wisdom, said an art degree and what else? Um, <laughs> because if you're going to spend, you know, X thousands of dollars on a degree, we'd really like you to be employed. Um, which at the time I didn't appreciate fully, which, you know, when you're 17, I guess that is what happens. But um, and so it's kind of funny because I have taken zero business classes up until the last couple months, which I'm now enrolled in a master's program for organizational leadership. But my awesome. background has been always in the intersection of art and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was somewhat accidental when both I discovered one, I'm not that great at art. So to be a medical <laughs> illustrator requires more skill than I have. Right. Um, and technology was, you know, back in the day when I was in school, and since this is, you know, we're not saying how old I am, um, technology and the internet and the, those, those were new things, if, right. if you believe that. Um, and so never really considered myself a business person, never considered myself an entrepreneur, but in the personal work that I've done over the last several years about trying to understand where I fit in this world, it's became pretty clear that I actually kind of, I were, I was those things all right. along. I just didn't know it. Right. Um, because what I kept thinking was I'm going to be an art student or I'm going to be an artist. And you know, if I ever make any money at all, that'll be great. Um, you know, fast forward, I ended up getting while I was in college, uh, a position at, at the time it was Behringer Mannheim, now Roche Diagnostics mm-hmm. doing computer-based training, um, and developing that. And so that was the first like intersection of technology and art for me. It was like design right. it, build it, and teach people. It was really cool. Hmm. Um, very, very cool. And that I think was the first sort of kind of bug bite that I got to say like, hey, this business thing is actually really cool. Um, so I would definitely categorize myself as a lifelong learner. And if you look at the arc of my leadership journey, it's really just comes from that. I get bored. Yeah. I want to learn new things. I think pretty much everything is interesting. There's very few industries that I'm not interested in knowing more about. And so I ended up going into consulting um, as a career because that gave me the best access to 
different companies, different leadership styles, different business models, different solutions, um, always change. Yeah. And it's a and it's a pretty high performance environment. And so I like a challenge. I mean, you know me, like yeah, I do. <laughs> like, if it doesn't take 110 percent of my energy, then it's not worth doing, kind of thing. Right. So, so yeah. So that's kind of. I mean, I just started in consulting as a as a maker, as a doer, um, and ultimately got moved into project management because I see patterns and opportunities pretty well. I like dealing with people and problems. And so I was like, well, stop making and start leading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I made a pretty seamless pivot into project management and then I made a pretty rocky pivot into like straight on people management. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. How is it, how is that rocky? Um, I kind of thought people were like projects and so mm. you could just kind of in some ways tell them what needed to get done and how to do it and they would just go do it. And as it turns out, that's not really the case. Um, <laughs> it's certainly not the way I liked to be managed right. um, and led. And I don't know why I thought that was a good idea initially, but uh, but I did. And then I, I kind of quickly uh, was was uh, learned out of that behavior. Let's put it that way. Well, my yeah. experience with you is that you're both intuitive and smart, so it probably didn't take you too long to go. Yeah, this isn't going so well. I want to I want to get to Shadow Pond in a minute, but I want to rewind yeah. while we're here. So. You're you're freshly out of college. You go over to Roche, and um, or whatever it was called at the time, and yeah. and and you're you, you walk in your first day, and you're like, ex art student meets potential business person. What was it like the free first you know few months? How did your manager handle you? What were the kind of conversations you guys had? I mean, did you feel like you were led well? I mean, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it's a good that's a good question because I think that was the first inclination where I got the sort of people are tasks, not people are people lesson. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I was mm-hmm. hired to do a job and I was put in literally in a room with no windows and a desk. And it was like, here you You're go. Here's, kidding. No, huh? here's, here's, you know, I, and it was a great job. Don't get me wrong. Like I loved it. I had so much fun, but it was like, here's your computer. Here's the material that the instructors teach. And now we right. want to put it online. So put it online and then ask the instructors, instructors, if you need help. And, you know, go to the photo shoots and do the things. And so, I mean, ultimately, I would say I wasn't led there. Mm -hmm. I think I was managed. Um, Well, obviously, I got stuff done and they liked my work and they kept me on for, you know, several years. And but as far as like leading into like a greater opportunity or um, more responsibility, that didn't happen really until I looked at the work and said, listen, I've been doing this for two years and I don't want to keep doing just this. Right. I mentioned I get right. bored easily. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm like, I want to do something different. So I actually ended up leaving Roche and going into consulting okay. um, because of that. And yeah. so, you know, it wasn't that I'd say my the person that I had was a, was a bad manager, a bad leader. I just think there was an absence of leadership in the way that I understand it today. And I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I was just doing fun work and that was good enough. Right. Right. Now, when you went into consulting, did you start observing other leadership models that you thought were good? Is that, I mean, is that kind of where you picked up some of these, these, uh, the things you've learned? Yeah. I mean, it gave me the first exposure to a more structured, um, kind of, um, upper mobility approach, right? So it's kind of like you came in at this level, you have these competencies and these skills. This is how we evaluate that. This is if you want to move up and do different things, this is how you do that. Oh, by the way, there's three or four or five different practices um, involved consulting. And so you could learn from all of the other people. 
um, it just it just broadened my horizons mm. significantly, mm-hmm. um, which was great. And I had for the first time, really, I mean, somebody who was invested in saying like, hey, what do you want to do? What mm. do you want to become? Right. What are you good at? You know, what are you not good at? What do you not want to do? Which honestly is as important to me probably as knowing what you want to do. Right. Um, and then, you know, you still have to make your own way. Like I still had to make my own way as a path forward, but at least I had people around me that were willing to um, be a voice in that for me. Um, yeah. And I had that, and I had that subsequently kind of every other position I've had, you know, up until owning my own business, which I started a few years ago. Right. Um, and so that was, that was pretty transformational to me to kind of get out of the, you know, room with no windows, do a ro- roll totally. and kind of see like, oh my gosh, I could be put at any client. I could be doing right, anything. Right. Like, what do I want to do? Right. Yeah. 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 So, so you get, you, 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 are going from consulting and now you're going to go back into the, the, the grind. You're going to go into somebody else's company. Um, they hire you probably at this point to lead, right? So now you're. Um, so I actually pivoted into consulting as a doer still, but pretty quickly pivoted into a project management role. Um, and that's really, that's because I had exposure to the fact that, oh, there are these other roles. There are these other things that you can do. It takes a huge team to make these big, at the time it was internet projects, websites and things, right? Technology sure. to make them work. It's not right. just you in the room. It's you and seven other people or 15 other people or 30 other people. Um, and so, yeah, so at that point, that's when I really started to get to see, okay, what does it look like to get promoted? What does it look like to then have, oh, oh to have actual people to lead? Right. And, and that's actually where I started to get the name Shadowpaw. Okay, I, we need to hear it now. How did that happen? So one of the art directors that was on my team um, dubbed me Shadowpaw because I am very protective of my people. And mm-hmm. so he would say, you know, if you're kind of on the inside of the paw, like under the shadow of the paw, you're safe and you're protected. But I also had a tendency to, um, let's say lash out occasionally, (laughs) um, both to people that I led, but also just in protection of what we were trying to build. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, don't ever find yourself on the other side of the paw because (laughs) not healthy. So exactly. He, yeah. So he named me Shadow Paw, and it kind of stuck. And at the time, I mean, I still kind of think it's enduring, but in reality, it actually exposed a pretty big leadership flaw mm-hmm. in my style that I had, which is, you know, it's not responsible communication to mm-hmm. lash out, to to control, to um, you know, try to try to overtly direct things when you know, in a lot of, a lot of instances, collaboration, um, and interaction actually gets you to a better result. Right. Sure. Um, so I was a pretty young leader when I got dubbed yeah. that and it was probably another good five or 10 years before I was like, wait a second, that is not, that is, I yeah. mean, it's cute, but it's not entirely what I want to be known for sure. as a leader. Yeah. Sure. So was when you, when you look back and you kind of realize you, you had this progression of realism, progressive realization that, Okay, or maybe you didn't. Maybe it was overnight you went, I don't want to be this person. But, you know, but clearly you had people that were loyal to you and you were endearing, so there was a both and. But what was the process from you going from people are tasks to, wait a minute, I've been given these people as a, as a, as a gift, as a, you know, these are, I'm responsible yeah, yeah. for their careers, for their development. That kind of, what was that progression like for you and how did you get from A to B? 
Yeah, so I think, so in my time in my first consulting job, I learned a tiny bit of that based on the structure that they had in place to help people kind of climb the ladder, right? So it was a pretty like thorough process to say, here's the competencies and skills that we judge people on. You know, if you have deficiencies, here's how we want you to fill those deficiencies, like, you know, creating your own development roadmap and things like that. So I would say, you know, that really exposed me to the first kind of what I would call like hard skills of Mm -hmm. like, here's how you can, can quote manage or lead people to, to, to be their best self. Um, but I would say it wasn't until, so I left that position actually. And I took a, I took a new position at a new consulting firm with the sole purpose of building a line of business for them. So they basically said, Hey, you did, you did this work for another consulting company. Will you come do it for us? And that was the first time that I had, again, we had structure and review processes and things like that, but it was the first time that I could sort of say, what, what do I want to build? Like, what are we building? Who are the people right. that we're going to hire? What's the culture that we want to create? Again, inside the microcosm that is this other culture. Right. Like, how how, how do we want to treat people? Um, and not that those things weren't important to me, you know, previously, but it just, I went from, hey, you're like a manager or a senior manager under a partner, under a senior partner, under, you know, 40 Buried. branches of consulting. Yeah. yeah. To, hey, we have one location. We have a few hundred people and we want you to start a line of business. Um, and oh, by the way, it's not a line of business that we know much about. So you're going to have to teach us, you know, so you're the business owner is. of that particular thing. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Did yeah. you hire your own people? Did you, yeah. did you kind of take from the other parts of the company or were they all new nope. people or hired my own people? Um, first had to figure out what it is that we were even going to offer and then okay. how do you hire people to that, you know, to that job description or to that role. Um, ultimately, I mean, and I think this is, it's a bit of a testament, I think, to relationship building in business and and also to what people feel comfortable with. But several of the people that I worked with at the previous firm ultimately came over and worked with me in the new firm. Right. So as we we grew, (laughs) right, everybody wants to find shadow paw. Um, as we grew, it was a great opportunity to say like, Hey, here's people that, you know, are performant, are great. We've worked together, you know, let's add to, and then obviously we hired people outside of that. So sure. It was a great, um, I got a lot of freedom in that role to sort of create what I wanted to create. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of my first foray into, you know, what are some like soft skills, soft tools, soft things that are, we can avail ourselves to, you know, to, to, to have people like kind of live their best life. Um, and so that, that really kind of set their trajectory for saying like, Hey, we're going to do things differently here. Mm-hmm. Um, not wildly differently, but introduce new concepts, new ideas, challenge people to know themselves as people, right. um, to speak up, to be vulnerable, um, you know, just kind of all of those things. And it's not an overnight thing. I would right. say we probably didn't hit our stride in that, honestly, for five years right. um, because it just takes that long to grow a line of business. But sure. yeah, but it's definitely some of my most fun, most fun work. Cool. How, how did you... Um... How did you manage your people? Did you manage them? Like, did you have regular one-on-ones? Did you have, were you just kind of a manager by walking around? Did you, I mean, how did you, how did you make it work and how did that evolve over time? Yeah, that's a great question because I started out with a fairly small team in the end when I left um, that position, I think we had uh, 50 people, maybe 40, 50 people, something like that. And obviously as you go from having one or two or three people 
to 11, 12, or 13 people to 25 <laughs> people to 50 people, it becomes different, right? Right. Um, right. I, I tend to be... I, I like to be hands-on, so I tend tended initially to be a walk-around sort of manager. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that was just because I had to, because I was still involved in delivering work. So we sure. actually got to like co-create together. So right. it was less about formal reviews and formal feedback and things like that, and more about like, hey, we're in this together. We're doing this project. Like, let's go kick some butt. Right. Um, as the practice got bigger, my participation changed and focused mostly on growing the business from a sales perspective. I wasn't as involved in the day-to-day operations of the business and ended up having to build a management team to help do that sort of one-on-one coaching. And right. so what I saw my role was is trying to equip people with the tools and the, and the we, we used to joke rules, tools and schools, um, right. you know, to, to be their best self. And so, you know, we did things like we introduced strengths finders to the team, had mm-hmm. people take strengths finders. Um, we talked about, you know, if you were going to build an optimal team, you know, what does that look like? You know, mm. diff- different genders, different strengths, um, but you still got to cover the skill gap, right? You can't just say, right. well, I want this person because they're adaptable, but we don't need them on the project, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, don't, they don't get any work done, but they're really yeah. adaptable. But they're really <laughs> adaptable. It's great. Yeah. 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 So we introduced some things like that. We brought in some innovators, um, you know, that taught like day classes on innovation and things like that. Just kind of more ways to inspire people um, and to really try to just break themselves out of the norm of working in the business. Yeah. Uh, if that makes, if that makes sense. Totally does. I guess my question for you is you're, you've always been such an eclectic person. You know, you're, yeah. I mean, you're a cook, you like to do outdoorsy stuff. You're, you know, you're laying out Lydia in roller derby, you know, <laughs> right. you're, I mean, you're just like, like, you know, as you said, you kind of dive in a hundred percent. Sounds to me like you dove in a hundred percent in the leadership thing. What were the things that influenced you? Were they books or was it the Strengths Finder? What are the things that made you go, okay, this is how I could be a better version of myself in order to kind of release all the, the power of the people that report to me? Yeah, that, um, lots of different things. Uh, lots of different things contributed to that. I would say people-wise, there was a couple of really influential people in my leadership trajectory. And I really honestly can say I, I would not be where I am um, in thinking about leadership um, without them. One was the managing partner that I had um, that I reported to in one of our other branch offices, Julie. Um, she really came alongside me and um, she told me the hard things. Um, mm. To in my career, like career, get it. You're awesome. You're great. You're great in front of clients. You do great work. Your projects get done. You're amazing. You're smart. You know, right? Like that's lovely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to hear that, and we need to hear like six or positives to every negative. Um, Either people didn't deliver the hard news to me in a way that I could hear it, or they didn't deliver it at all. Um, I honestly don't know which is which is the truth. She had a way of delivering it in a way that I could hear it. I didn't like it, but then she helped me to work on behaviors to work my way through it because what she she wanted a super effective team and what she saw in me were things that were not necessarily behaviors that created the best outcome for everybody Um, and it wasn't me it was everybody she didn't you know she did that with all people that she led and so I would say she was really one of the key people in my life you know that said okay hey like here's some we okay we can't you you can't do that in meetings we we can't have you do that in meetings (laughs) You know, here, yeah. you know, so she, she first introduced me to what she calls the love sandwich. So you say something good and then she slugs you and then you say something. 
So I got a lot, <laughs> I got a lot of love sandwiches. A lot of love sandwiches. Oh, that's awesome. That's um, awesome. So she was super instrumental. And then the other person was an executive coach that I had, Cindy, um, that 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 Julie actually brought to my attention. So there was a few of us that really felt like, you know, we had some, we had some work to do. We all have work to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that work you can do on your own and some of that work you honestly really need outside people to help you with. I, that's right. just my fundamental belief. So I got connected with an executive coach. Um, I joked with her that I must be the slowest learn that she's ever tried to teach. Um, but she had a tool called the Berkman that she used as an evaluation tool. Um, it kind of is a kind of set the groundwork. And then she's about like, how do you work effectively in your company? So, mm-hmm. you know, how are other people wired? How's your management structure wired? How's your executive team wired? You know, when you say this, this way, this person hears you say this, that's not what you mean, but that's what they hear. And if you want to be effective, you need to speak in this way or you need to frame things in this way or you need to give this person a heads up before you hit them with an idea because they won't respond real time to you and you need people to respond real time to you. So she was very, very helpful in, in setting the construct of understanding people are people. You can come at it like bull in a china shop like you always do and you'll win 80% of the time because you'll just knock people over, but sure. you're not going to get as far as you would get if you can win people to your side. That is a, it's really interesting that you say that because um, I, when, I, when I think about the, t- the two parts of you that you've exposed today in the, in, the, uh, in the interview is that you're a lifelong learner, so you're always, mm-hmm. you're always taking in new information, you're trying to apply it, and you're, you're teachable. I mean, you're, you're literally listening to people who are kind of, you know, punching in the gut, giving you the love sandwich, whatever. So did you, was there a point in your life where you were, where you felt a little more defensive when you, I mean, everybody's a little defensive, right? When they get, they get feedback, but there are times when you push back. And if so, what was it about Julie that kind of made you kind of go, yeah, you know, man, I hate to hear that, but. I mean, what was it about her that could deliver the news? Yeah, I think for for me with her, it was because she addressed me in the way that I could hear her. And she was a great example of adjusting her style to to meet my need. Right. And so, as I said before, Cindy was, you know, good at trying to coach me into that. And my kind of my initial reaction with Cindy was, I am who I am. Like people just need yeah. to understand and get on board. Like we're, Cindy's your coach, right? Yeah, Cindy's I know, the Cindy, coach. Cindy's your coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, you know, and I'm just like, people just yeah. need to get on board. I mean, like, we're doing good things. We're being asked to do enormously huge things, and they mm-hmm. need to get on board because they've asked us to do that, or they need to get out of the way, which, I mean, and that's kind of, that was kind of my, yeah. you know, I was like, listen, I mean, I'm under a huge amount of stress here, and it's not that I didn't want to change. It was just like, why do I need to? I mean, yeah, like they've we're, hired, we're accomplishing stuff. Yeah. They've hired yeah. you to do this. We're doing it. Like, let's just move on. And Julie really, I watched her interact with other people and I was like, she doesn't interact with that person the way she interacts with me, but she's still Julie. Uh, like she's not disingenuous. She's, right. she's coming from a place of, of, of solidly knowing herself and being clear right. about what she wants to accomplish and loving the other person to a point where it's like, this is the best thing for you. Like mm-hmm. I, I want, I want us to, to do the best thing and, right. and what you're doing is not, you know, is not, is not necessarily producing the best result. Like let's talk about it. Right. right. 
And so I think the context in which he approached those difficult conversations with me was kind of the first time where I was like, oh my goodness, like she's meeting me where I need to be met because right. frankly, I'm immature now. And wow. so until I can mature my, like mature my character, um, until I mature my character, until I can her where she is, she's meeting me, which was super cool. Yeah, that it, it's it's. I mean, it's impressive to be able to have to to retain yourself, not kowtowing to powerful personalities like you have. I mean, right. now I'm, I'm if I didn't know you this well, I probably wouldn't go here, but I'm going to go here anyway. So we oh, live boy. in a world. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, we live in a world dominated guys that look like me. True. Okay? Yeah. So you know, fifty year old white dudes who you know who, who kind of got were born on third base and thought they hit a triple. And, uh, you know, and I love and I, that you know that about yourself. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, and I grew up with a very strong mother. So my mother was a, a was a powerhouse in everything she ever did, whether she was a television anchor woman, reporter. She, you know, grew up essentially in show business uh, and then ended up as a $50 a week movie reviewer for a TV station, the token woman, you know, that's yeah. and ended up two years later being the most powerful political reporter in the Twin Cities. And then she left there to be the vice president of public relations at the University of Minnesota. So, and this was a woman when, when she walks in the room, much like my friend Amy Baker, everybody knows she's there. And yet she was able to carry herself, and I've seen it a million times, with, with both grace and power. I mean, there, there was no question about the power side, but there was no question about the grace either. And she, and it was very interesting watching that. So for me, growing up around powerful women, is is natural for me and it's also natural for me to go i didn't have to do half the work to get where i am that she had to get where she was mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that part of your journey like when did you because you're a powerful lady and you're like okay powerful women aren't always super accepted in in old white guy culture <laughs> you know how did you how did you kind of overcome some of that and 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 how did you build the bridge that you needed to to get the stuff done yeah that's that's such an interesting question and it's become kind of such the forefront of some of my thinking and study in the last few years. Um, I would say mm -hmm. I too was raised by strong, both parents, strong parents. My mom, you mm -hmm. know, held her own, um, with grace and power as well. Um, my dad, for the most part, kind of, we, we could do anything. I mean, mm -hmm. we were raised in an environment where if you wanted to try it, do it. Like if you want right. to play, if you want to play softball, do it. If you want to play army with the boys, do it. If you want to jump motorbikes, do that. If you want to, Roller derby. You want yeah, to do it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you want to be in drama, do that. If you want to be an artist, do that. If you know, I mean, so very sure. eclectic, right? Very supportive. Right. Um, and I would say I probably entered the workforce completely oblivious to the male female dynamic, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I had an older brother. I grew up around guys. I always felt more comfortable around guys. Um, and mm -hmm. it wasn't until my the first executive position I took where I was one of just a few women on an all male, as you said, 50 plus white, you know, dudes, um, you know, kind of executive team that I really started to see that, hey, there's a there's a difference here that's happening. Mm. Um, part of it for me, I think, was age, honestly. Um, and part of it definitely was the female perspective. I mean, there's nothing like being in a meeting and being called emotional instead of passion, instead of passionate. Yeah. 
Exactly. There's nothing. The very same behavior by a guy is completely yeah. interpreted differently. Yeah. And nothing like being in a, in a meeting where you say something about like, well, here's, you know, here's a way that we can advance that pro, you know, project or move forward and getting ignored. And then, you know, two minutes later, having a, a gentleman across the table say basically the same thing and have everybody say, oh, yeah, yes, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's it's frustrating. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say I kind of um, swung wholeheartedly into the like you men just need to get on this again, same page with us. Like you need to understand what it's like to be a woman in business. Um, we need to be treated the same. Um, there should mm-hmm. be equality. There should be, you know, we, we should be integrated. We should have the same opportunities. And I mean, we all know, statistically speaking, that's not the case. We don't make as much money. Right. Don't get promoted as fast. We get excluded right. if we've had babies, which I have not. So I did not face that, that obstacle. Um, it, right. it is decidedly not equitable. Um, right. But where I've kind of arrived now and some of the work that I've been doing with some of the some of the folks in the groups that I'm in is I would say a little softer approach of trying to storytell and trying to get those that are different than me. I'm a white woman, right? Like that's I'm a white woman. So I don't understand what it's like to be a black woman. I don't understand what it's like to be a Latino woman. I don't understand what it's like to be a white guy. I don't you know, I don't I don't live in those shoes. Um, And so it, it behooves us as humans to sit and try to understand, right? Um, and it's it shocks me, and it shouldn't, but it still does, to sit in a group of, of middle-aged white men, not to carve you all out, but- No, I'm, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, and talk about things like the percentage of women who are assaulted in the workplace sexually, right? right? Crazy. And, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I've never been assaulted in the workplace. I'm like, no, I know, you haven't. I have, um, pretty much every woman at this table has. Right. You know, let's talk about that experience. Right. And what that's like. Right. And then what that does to the idea of like, hey, I want to be a leader here. I want to be respected. Um, I can't be left alone with such and such individual in the office at night. I'm not comfortable with that. Or, hey, I'm, yeah. cons- I'm consulting with a with a leader who at a trade show decides that they think that we should go skinny dipping. You know, like that's not that's For and that, real. And that happens. That didn't happen to me. That was the story from another woman that I talked to, to oh but but I mean, it happens, right? And so it just, I I want, I want to understand other people's perspectives and their experiences, and I and I want more than anything for other people, particularly white men, to also sit in our experiences with us, so that there is empathy in it. Um, I don't I don't want to be like the guys. I don't. At first, I'm right. like, well, I'll just like the guys, and it's like, no, that then you get called a bitch. Like that's no good for yeah. anybody. Um, what, right. what I'd rather have is I would rather have an ally at the table with me who's a gentleman um, who can stop the conversation and say, hey, can we go back to the thing that Amy was talking about a minute ago? Amy, can you can you just walk us through that again? Right. Hmm. Um, there are behaviors, I think, that can help um, help all of us perform better. Hmm. Um, Harvard did a study some time ago that that said that. Um, basically co-gendered teams, teams that included men and women, outperformed right. hands down teams of individual of sexes of either kind, all women, yeah. all, right? So, yeah. you know, I mean, there's so much room for improvement. There's so much room for, for, for grace and equity in this conversation. Um, and so what I'm just, what I'm seeking is like, can we empower men with the, with the stories and the understanding of what it takes to come alongside and be part of the gender gap closure. Cause it's not work that we are going to win on our own. It's no. not. 
No, I, I love that, and I love the fact that you that you have dived into it and actually had some some you know had had you've obviously thought about it, and and so for me going back to your comments with Julie in connection with this, so one of the things that Julie did for you is she shared things with you that you could metabolize in a way that you could actually, you know, you could take them in and it you wouldn't just kind of be expelled. Yeah. So when you talk about the gender gap. Have you found some ways to to help men metabolize even the issue, like help them understand, you know, to, like okay, I'm I'm your manager, yes, I am female, and and <laughs> and I am and I am both actually, you know, and and you know, I'm not genderless, I am a female. That brings with it all kinds of stuff that you know that we have that the same stuff that I bring with my my middle aged maleness. And and what are and so so what are the things that you've done to help other people metabolize the the kind of team that you'd like to have the kind of diversity of thought you'd like to have the sorts of things where you where you're inspiring them to do the very kind of collaboration you just mentioned that Harvard was talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we do that. I mean, practically, when it comes to like project work, we 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 do collaboration, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. we we have collaborative meetings. We have co-design processes, right? We set boundaries for meetings about what is, you know, what is this meant to be? Um, you know, there is no wrong answer. There is no right answer. Brainstorming, is it converging on ideas? Like, why are we here? And 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 what does it take for people to feel safe um, to, to kind of in that environment. Brene, Brene Brown's latest book has got great pointers on meeting constructs and vulnerability and being heard. And um, so we employ a lot of those sorts of things, um, you know, and, and, and realizing that people can only bring to the table what they have in them, right? And right, so and right. all in different places in our character development, in our maturity, in our life experience. So the best thing that I think we can do as a leader is try to set the table so that people can can participate in a way that is healthy for them. Um, and sometimes that means it's uncomfortable for them. I'm not saying we make it easy. I'm saying that like, hey, if I'm facilitating a group and we've set the, you know, we've set the guidelines, we've set the boundaries, we have everybody kind of has their like, this is a thing that kind of makes me nervous about today or whatever. And somebody's real quiet. It doesn't mean I'm not going to call them out. You know, and right. we're going to stop and we're going to be like, hey, Tim, we haven't really heard much from you. Um, and you, you bring great ideas to the table, kind of what's going right on, right? What's going on? Um, and that's, yeah. you know, I call that good leadership, call that good facilitation, whatever. But um, I think, you know, helping people to understand that their presence is valued and that and that them showing up adds to the team, like it adds to what we can mm-hmm. use. Um, and, you know, we all have bad days and maybe, you know, Tim's like, dude, I didn't sleep at all last night. My kid was up and, you know, whatever. It's like, OK, you don't have it in you today. All right. You yeah. know, okay, But like yeah. circle back around on this because you need to, we need your voice in this, right? Yeah. I mean, I think kind of letting people show up and, and encouraging them is a good, it's a good like test, you know, it's kind of like throwing them into the fire. It's like, sure. you're here and you're going to, you know, you're going to do this work. Um, the other thing right. is kind of interesting and Julie, well, actually I heard it a bunch of different places early on in my career, especially as a leader, people said, you have to take time to work on the business, not in the business. Um, and mm. mean you know, if you read the four disciplines of execution, they talk about the whirlwind, yep. the whirlwind of, yep. of execution. And there's always a million things you could be doing as a leader. If you do not have time carved out to work on the business, you know, which could be what is happening in our market? 
What is a tangential market I could learn about that could influence how we do things? Um, what are new processes we could be thinking about? Who should I be talking to um, to stretch myself, you know, to grow this business? Um, you know, if we're not working on the business and we're always about, did I get that report done? Am I ready for the executive management meeting? Did I hire this person this week? Right in the business, right. and we're missing those growth opportunities. Um, and kind of more recently, the work that I'm doing with my master's program and just some of the coaching that I've been doing, like I still believe that to be true. You have to make time to work on the business, not just in the business. But I think the sort of um, the thing that supersedes that is you have to be working on yourself, so that you can mm. work on the business so that you can be in the business. Right. Um, working on yourself shows up, or it can show up to your team members, right? It's about saying to someone, hey, you know, I've realized that I maybe didn't give you enough authority to get this work done because I make you keep checking in with me on these things. Like, how does that feel to you? Like, do, do you feel like you have the resources to do this in, in a different way? Like, why am I... I think I'm afraid that this is not going to go well. I mean, can you yeah. imagine if your if your manager sat down and said, "I'm yeah. afraid, Chris. I'm afraid. I have a fear, and this fear is causing me to behave this way. And I think it's not super productive. I would really like you to help me rethink this." Yeah, it's a game changer. The kind of transparency that you just shared is will, of course, be mirrored as soon as right. they feel like that their sense of trust. Right. But if you've got to be the goddess. You know, and that who can never make a mistake. You know, you're like the emperor of Japan. Yeah, right. You know, that you're divine. Well, you are divine, <laughs> but you know what I mean. The, but yeah. but you know, you're it it, it, it then it's un, you're unapproachable. Right. And you've clearly made it. You know. You know, one of the phrases that I use from a, a, a close friend of ours, um, uh, Craig Parker, years ago, said something that I use all the time, where I say I'd rather give speeding tickets than parking t tickets. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather people go out there and really try something and maybe fail and get a little slap on the hand, but I'll high five them on the way out the door. Right. And I think, you know, being able to give people the right amount of direction. I mean, you're sharing stuff, Amy, and I'm thinking, I'd like to work for Amy. I'm like, this, this would be great because because I think, you know, you've got that good balance of accountability. We have a job to do. we got to get right. it done. I'm going to provide as many resources as I can for you to help you get your job done. But you got to do your part. you got to show right. up. you got to be a part. And you've got to be a part not just of the work, but what you're talking, when we're talking about teams and and gender equality, you got to be part of the culture. Right. You got right. you got to be able to buy into that. Yeah. So I just I just love that, and I think that that's that's you're building a legacy in these people about the way they're thinking about leadership. Again, no no disrespect to your first manager, right. but locking you in a room and saying you know and shoving pizza under the door with a few tasks here and there that you got to accomplish right. is not the same as the kind of stuff that you're building, which is like super right cool. right well and i think anybody I, I, so i think we all have the capacity to lead i think we're all called to lead mm -hmm. whether you have a manager title or whatever you have the opportunity to influence the people that you work with for the positive or for the negative right right and so it goes right. back to that sort of do you own it and are you paying yep. attention right i mean I, I wish i knew when i was 21 what i know now about good management and good leadership um it's some of that stuff just takes time and it takes experience but you know, right. that sort of testament to lifelong learning, like lifelong learn, not just the skills that you need to do your job, but like, look at the people stuff around you. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah. who, you know, who, who you surround yourself with and who influences you, you become like those people, wh whether you want to right. or not. Right. And so yeah. it's, it, I think it behooves all of us to, to study 
you know, study the yeah. study the leaders in our lives, study the the influences in our lives, and understand like why that is, you know, and is that right. something that I can apply in my job, in my church, in my family, you know, there's these are yeah. these are things. It goes back to like if you're working on yourself so that you can work on the business. Yeah. There are things that are gonna they're gonna transcend just the job, you know, and yeah. Yeah, yeah I love that. I'm gonna ask you one more question because our time's kind of running running short, but yep. I want to ask you this because I. I think you'll have an interesting perspective. So I'm gonna start with kind of a, a, my own personal process, which is that um, over the years as I've looked back, um, and I've looked back at the people that have worked for me, there's, there's two things that I've missed regularly that have almost cost me my team. The one thing I've missed is super high performing people that are just producing all the time, but I'm not giving them new paths or new challenges, mm -hmm. kind of new, you know, new frontiers to branch out in. And so they, the, the risk to me is that these fantastic people who are killing it for me are going to leave and find because the grass is greener or whatever. That's a huge deal. The other one is I never let go of anyone too early. Yeah. Right. And, and especially, and I put things into quadrants, we're building a software product that kind of does some of this. And and the, the quadrant to me that's the most dangerous is the quadrant of high-performing, low-culture people. Because mm -hmm. they're thinking there are people I think I can't lose. I can't lose them, so I'm going to kowtow to them. I'm going to go, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to call the question. And I've actually done a little research on my own journey, taking like ten different employees, and I've realized that in each of those employees, at least two data points before I actually did something. I should have done something. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I should have known. Like the comet streaked across the sky. I went, oh, there's a comet. I should do something about that. And then I don't. Yeah. For because I'm busy. It's expedient. How do you? How have you experienced that kind of thing? And how do you deal with it now? When you when you look at somebody and go, yeah, this person's just not a great fit for us. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. And I would I would totally totally agree that I have struggled with the same thing. Um, you know, finding a high performer that's not necessarily a culture fit. I mean, you really have to unpack, like, wh why are you afraid to let them go? What's going to happen? Are they the, your best salesperson? So therefore, you're going to have a downturn in sales? You know, what? Right. Um, or did we not take the, the time to teach, right? Like, you can teach culture right. to a degree. Right. So did we right. not, you know, did we not teach? Um, and so, okay, well, we just didn't take the time. And now we're suffering from it. Um, I also suffer from the like, but just hold on like one more month, one more quarter, like we'll get there, um, and have been bit in the butt enough times that no. it shouldn't be hard to do that. But I think because we're, we tend to be grace filled people, you and I, it's like, and yeah. I want people to have their best life. Um, some, right. sometimes their best life is actually making them available to industry. Um, believe it yeah. or not. And that can be a hard thing to get your head around and it's not something that's fun for anybody, but at the end of the day, they may end up in a, in a better place. Um, so for me, I would say it's still totally a work in progress, um, yeah. as far as how to handle that. The culture fit thing, I am less tolerant of. If they don't fit, mm -hmm. they don't fit. Um, if, right. if we've given them a couple tries to fit in and it's just not working, it's just not working. Um, if we right. have a culture fit and we have an underperformer skills wise, I tend to be much still probably much too lenient because it's like, well, we'll just change what they're doing a little bit or we'll give them different stuff right. or we'll move them to a different area or, you know, whatever. Um, and sometimes that works out. Um, most of the time it doesn't work out, at least in my experience. Right. Um, and right. so it's, um, 
the skills thing for me is an easier communication starting point, right? It's like, these yeah. are the six things that we need you to do to, to be equipped to do your job. You can only do four of them. We've trained right. you. We've done this. There's a gap of two. We need to see these two things, you know, close in the next month to two months, or we're going to have to talk about some sort of a change. Like it's a very sure. like logical, less emotional thing. The sort of, yeah. we love you and you do a good job, but gosh, you just don't fit here is, yeah. is a much You've harder. You've objectified it. Yeah. It's a much yeah. harder um, scale to, to kind of lead on. Um, you know, kind of my best tool, and I don't know that it is the best tool. Um, my best tool is to try to equip person, people with self-reflection or meditation, right? Like, right. like think about the last three gigs that you won, the last three contracts that you won, you know, talk to me about, you know, how they, how they fit or don't fit into what we do as a business. What would you change? Um, what, hmm. you know, what didn't go well in terms of getting those clients or what would you have liked to have seen differently? Right. Is there, is there something we could be doing that could get a different outcome that honestly is more in alignment with our culture? Like, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And if the response yeah. is, I killed it, we won them. Yeah. What does it matter? You just got $3 million in revenue. It's like, oops. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, so, <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah. So we, me my check. Yeah, so we need to be talking about maybe it's time to make you available to industry. Um, there's yeah. probably a better yeah. fit out there for you. Cause that's, you know, We've communicated culture. We've communicated values. This is not how we, you know, this is not how we do business. And yeah. you're great. And thanks for the work. But, you know, it just, it's probably just not a good long-term fit here. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. That stuff sucks. Honestly, I, I don't like, I don't like those yeah. conversations. No. Yeah. Well, Amy, this has been absolutely fantastic. I feel like I've gone to Amy Baker U. <laughs> And I, I, I want my certificate and my degree and I want to learn because, I mean, you know, you've had a lot of, of broad eclectic experience. And I love the fact that even after all your experience and, and your success, that you're still going after it. Oh, yeah. So um, and so I'd love to, you know, as we get down the road here with our podcast, love to chat some more for sure. Absolutely. And uh, find out where you are in your next step of your journey. But thanks for spending the time with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It was a blast. Always love talking to you for sure. And talking leadership stuff is great. So. Whenever, whenever you want to call, just dial me up. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Teams. If you have any feedback for us, check the show notes and pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you.